Blog Talk Radio. Anybody know who Willie Lynch was? Anybody? Raise your hand. No one? He was a vicious slave owner in the West Indies. The slave masters in the colony of Virginia were having trouble controlling their slaves, so they sent for Mr. Lynch to teach them his methods. The word lynching came from his last name. His methods were very simple, but they were diabolical. Keep the slave physically strong, but psychologically weak and dependent on the slave master. Keep the body, take the mind. I and every other professor on this campus are here to help you to find, take back, and keep your righteous mind. Because obviously, you have lost it. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. Mind expansion engaged. Two and a half weeks, maybe three weeks at the most, before Cap 3, Civil War, I'm just saying. Folks, this is D-Bert, a.k.a. the Afro Nerd, and welcome to yet another edition, fascinating, funky, fact-finding edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk. The call-in number, always a constant, 646 646-915-9620. Zero. Feel free to jump on in. The water is always at a nice, comfortable room temperature. Uh, with your questions, protestations, your queries, what have you, we can handle it. It's okay. Um, we're going to give you an urban alternative groove, of course. That's a chief component to the show. Black rock and roll, alternative music, urban alternative music, psychedelic soul. However, we've got to give you some information. I am completely just... Uh, how can I put this? Just so impressed with this latest PBS documentary by Ken Burns on Jackie Robinson, the great legendary baseball baseball player Jackie Robinson. I'm going to talk about that and apply it to some other things. Um, so you know, 
let's just get into it. And plus, race stuff, unfortunately, I don't really want to talk about race stuff, but it is unavoidable. Wow. I think we're in some kind of time loop. It must be 1950. Anyway, going to that groove, this is Vanessa Dow, Alcestis on the Poetry Circuit. Alcestis on the Poetry Circuit. A lot of words. We'll be right back, folks. Let's groove.
giving you a scotch of extended groove there, folks. Alcestis on the poetry circuit, the, the great Vanessa Dow. Um, more or less a local artist that I grooved to quite some years ago. Anyway, enough of that. This is the Midweek in Review edition of AfroNerd featuring Captain Kirk. The captain is on Rigel 4, but he is needed in the studios post-haste. Cap, you're needed in the ready room again. Let's get to it. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. That song that you were playing had shades of climax in it. I got a meeting in the ladies' room. <laughs> Let's go, Afrodad. All right. Well, Cap, um, I would be remiss if I didn't really kind of go into I, I I have some clips that hopefully will play. I just loaded them up even as we were grooving to that to that song. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't really talk about the Jackie Robinson documentaries, a two-part special courtesy of perhaps one of the really preeminent documentary filmmakers, Ken Burns. I mean, I really love his work, you know, whether it's on jazz. um, I I bought this extended jazz set quite some time ago. Um, Very entertaining, very informative. I mean, the way he he puts together a documentary, I mean, sometimes documentaries get a bad rap with being somewhat um, so scholarly that they're not necessarily entertaining, but that's just not the case with Ken Burns. And his documentary specials are legendary. Um, Baseball was one. I think he did one on the Civil War. But even in the baseball one, which was highly lauded, there was a segment devoted to Jackie Robinson. Even he felt, in some of the interviews that I've been watching, that he felt that 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 the gravity of who Jackie Robinson was, that he was not, that he was way beyond just being a a star athlete or this legendary baseball player. I mean, what he accomplished in breaking the color barrier in professional sports weighs heavily on us to the, till this day. So he felt that having a, a segment in that baseball documentary just wasn't enough. And thankfully, Rachel Robinson, Jackie Robinson's widow, is still with us, still, still very lucid, very sharp, very sharp, very classy, and she's featured in, the, in this in this special. So it's a two-part special. It aired, I believe, Monday and Tuesday. Yes, Monday and Tuesday. It's available on PBS for a few weeks, I believe. So you can go to pbs.org, and I'll put some links to part one and part two in the chat room. But I would advise our listenership to really pretty well known. I mean, we know that there was there was 42 that was out a few years ago with Chatwick Bozeman, the Black Panther himself. Also, uh, Ms. Bahari, 
who has is no longer in the building, at least in fantasy lore, with Sleepy Hollow. Uh, so those two played Rachel and Jackie Robinson in, in the movie. So there's, there's been movies and documentaries before, but this particular one, I think there was more of a disclosure on some details about his life that many probably did not know. And also it was more personalized, the fact that you had his wife, again, still very lucid, just, I mean, just quick as a whip, memories intact, cogitation, all of that, everything's on point. This woman's 94 years of age, and she's sharper than many, many people that are decades, that, that are decades younger. So anyway, um, in, in looking at this, this special, you, Kirk, you get, you get more of a more of a bird's eye view, not only of what he went through, more details with uh, Branch Rickey, uh, the, the famed owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers that was instrumental in getting him to be the first black player in the, in the um, Major League Baseball. But you, had more, you got more of a bird's eye view as to what society was like. I think sometimes, especially with younger folk, I would exclude myself out of that, only because I'm obsessed with, and I have always been obsessed with vintage sports, vintage clothing. I, I like period stuff. I've always liked period stuff, so I, I, I never had that issue. But I do know some of our contemporaries and those who are even younger, they can't imagine, they can't put themselves back in 1940 or 1930, or 1950. They can't visualize it. And maybe because I've seen so many period movies, I've done so many reading, so much reading, um, the Oracle has been of grave assistance to me in, in painting this picture since I was a, a young child. I, I never got that, in, I never had that feeling that I could not put myself in 1950. I, I've, I, on occasion, I, I'll just visualize what 1950 was, even to this day. So I'm looking at the, the special, and I'm also going back to 2016. I'm going back and forth. I'm doing my own time travel thing, Captain. I got my car washed a few days ago, and I see a cat in front of me. Uh, his car was in front of me, and, of course, when we're, when we're going inside to pay, he's in front of me. And unfortunately, and I have to be visceral, I have to talk, you know, talk viscerally, cat. I see this cat's underwear in front of me, the pants sagging, earring in his ear. I'm not comfortable in looking at man ass in front of me, cat. I'm not comfortable with it. And I put it that way because, you know the look. In 1995, the sagging was still there, but I think the sagging was like slightly below the belt. Now it's actually gotten lower to the point where it has to be cinched below, cinched really below the underwear. So basically eight-tenths of the underwear is showing. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, why, am I, why do I have to see this? It, it, it's, it's just a, it really is an issue. It really is an issue. I know Hannibal, Hannibal Burris, the comedian Hannibal Burris, who – quote-unquote, drop dime on Dr. Cosby. 
I say that facetiously, but also accurately. He dropped dime, and it went viral. And the chief component of that, of of his stand-up act or stand-up rant, was not about the alleged victims. How dare he tell us to pull up our pants? So I, I, I go back and forth in time, in my own metaphysical time machine, Captain, and... I'm thinking of the great Jackie Robinson that in his own words and especially in his wife's words, who can speak truth to power very succinctly about the times and what her husband represented and and the fact that he was very much aware of his positioning, very much aware of what he aware of what he looked like, and she said. He liked his color. <laughs> he loved his color. His his phenotype, his blackness, he had he never had he, she said he never he never had that awkwardness about his physicality. He was very comfortable in his blackness and she said being comfortable in your blackness in 1947 was 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 very revolutionary and he always carried himself, and she used the term swagger. He always had a swagger. And when you look at these old photographs, Captain, of what he looked like, nice-looking cat, very just polished. Um, and how people dressed back then. I mean, also, again, I, I, I would assume our, our, uh, our stalwart supporter, Sergio Mims from the Grandiose website, Shadow and Act, again, for the new listeners, check out Shadow and Act. Google it. Fantastic black cinema site. I'm pretty sure he would appreciate this, that black masculinity thing we always talk about. But when you see that, when you, talk, when you hear and see his wife, who's still a lovely-looking look, look, lovely woman at, at 94 years of age, I must add. That's that high cognition thing, Captain. I'm very much on that thing. That, that high cognition, he's a college graduate. Many of the folks that, that are still alive, uh, uh, who were in her purview, white, black, and alike, commented that she was a class act. And, and, and her, her prominence also assisted or, or, or lent, or lent uh, assistance to Jackie being able to accomplish what he did. And, of course, you saw the Obamas. And there was some kind of inside joke, joking going on there with those two because they knew they were they were definitely the inheritors of that whole thing. Again, that awareness. They know who they were. They're comfortable, and they are the inheritors inheritors of the Robinsons, the Robinsons' accomplishments. But to bring this full circle, it really it really frustrates me that our young people are taking defecation, or, or I should say are defecating, pardon me, are clearly defecating on this lineage. That who would want to look like that young man after seeing what I saw? Even I feel like I'm still not stepping up my game enough. And I'm, I, maybe I'm anal and uber about it. But this, just to, to – to, I, I envision myself as Jackie Robinson. I said it in the present day. 
or Adam Clayton Powell. And those those people came out also in the video. All those all those sharp, educated, well dressed, respectability, politic loving black people. They existed in they were contemporaries of Robinson. Um the the great actor Harry Belafonte, who's still alive, is still very sharp, almost 90, still has his wits, cogitations on fire. We should be tapping the brains of these people, Captain, while they are still walking the earth. But for some reason, some in our communities are so hell-bent on telling these people to go away. You tell your your hip-hop artists, who are in their 40s, late 30s, 40s, 50s, to go away when they have the Matrix Code. They have the Da Vinci Code. They have it, and you tell them to go away. I have more. I can go on for 40 minutes on this thing because it was so compelling. But we, we've got to do something. This, this type of special should be shown in schools cross-racially cross-racially also to remind everyone that black folks weren't always this way or, or, or i should say i should say that we have a contingent of, of classy black folk here and now and before but we need to have these things as reminders to kind of let people know that, that it's not really going down like that that lower tierism is not really it's not the whole picture. And it, it disheartened me that I didn't see enough people really speaking up about a particular documentary. And, and the fact that you have, again, a white gentleman. And I just mentioned it just to be, you know, because really, the color thing doesn't mean anything to me. I'm not, I'm not, I don't do Plantation Olympics or any of that stuff. We don't do that here. But for, for Ken Burns, who's very radical, he's a radicalized white man, and he talks passionately about Jackie Robinson that we don't know we do not know the weight that this gentleman carried and he died relatively young he died at 53 years of age he died in 72 so we're talking about 40 years plus but he was a shadow of himself by the time he was he died of diabetes and of a heart attack and i think maybe because of the 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 weight that was literally on his shoulders but for what was accomplished in baseball, he really was the precursor for the civil rights movement. Once, once Major League Baseball and sports broke loose for the color line and segregation in sports, the rest of society pretty much followed suit with, with great suffering and, uh, and great uh, sacrifice. But Jackie Robinson, I don't know if he gets enough credit for, for what he had to had to endure on the baseball field and you had to be a certain kind of guy to be able to deal with all those barbs you have any thoughts on Jackie Robinson uh cap I have a little bit more I want to actually add to it that might be of interest interest to our audience something else that that if you knew his past based on this special you almost wouldn't think he would you, you would not think he would be the ideal do to be able to deal with all that because he was somewhat he was somewhat radicalized in not taking any crap i'd rather use a stronger word but he was very very confrontational 
before he got the gig with the with the Dodgers. And you would not think that he would have had the deportment to deal with what he had to deal with on the field from the fans and from fellow players and from other teams of these racists, clearly ra- not microaggressions back then. They didn't have microaggressions back then. Anyway, Cap, any thoughts, if you got a chance to check it out or from your own common knowledge of, of, of Jackie Robinson? I think Robinson? you should keep talking. I think you should keep talking. They're in the groove, so keep talking. All right, well, one thing I, I, I wanted to mention is a few things. Uh, he he came from a family that was very they, they weren't pushovers. They, in other words, you have this this kind of uh, duality with Jackie Robinson. Um, early Jackie, and then post post uh, MLB Jackie Robinson. Early Jackie Robinson, he was somewhat of a rebellious youth. They made um, uh, allusions to gang involvement. But, it, again, they joke, jokingly said this was like just a group of guys. It was, a, it was not a crip kind of thing. But he ran with a, with a, with a, a group of guys, uh, actually, actually multiracially, in California, Pasadena specifically. You know, he, he went to uh, UCLA where he was a, a, a phenomenal athlete in, in many different sports, not just – baseball but he was a phenomenal football player as well um but he ran with japanese kids he ran with with whites and of course other other black folks in california california even back then in the 1920s was somewhat somewhat progressive but they had their, they still had their ish but uh you know his his father left the family um early on and the mother, a strong woman, had to had to had to uh, figure it out. She moved with her brother in Pasadena, California, but initially, they were from Cairo, Georgia, from a family of sharecroppers. So, his mother became pregnant with him. Um, the father left the family. She had to fend for herself. So she hooked up with her with her brother out west, and then. Uh, she was able to scrap together funds to not only go to school, not only to educate herself, but also to buy a, buy a house in a predominantly white area in California. Now, again, this is the 1920s. I think this, the specific address was 121 Pepper Street in Pasadena. So that area was predominantly a white area, and they were harassed, but she refused to move. Again, this is not 1970 or 1980 or even 1950. This is in the mid-20s. So, you know, and also, as a child, he had confrontations with, with, with white adults and children, and he still stood his ground as a child. Um, he was confrontational with police officers when he was clearly in the right, again, in the 20s and 30s how did this how did this guy have this kind of confrontational spirit i mean there are a, a number of stories where jackie robinson jackie robinson knocked out a a a, a fellow soldier's teeth out for calling him the n word this was a very 
very prideful black man that even the narrator said that he's lucky to have been alive. Some of the some of the things that he did in the 20s and 30s and even 40s before he got the gig with with the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers very very much on a Malcolm X tip, dare I say. But Branch Rickey gave him a proposal, uh, explained exactly what we what would what would be required. Um, and Branch Rickey was a radical, also. Um, it also it also spoke, Captain, of respectability politics. And and, and listen, I, I I support respectability politics on some level. Now I know that many many black folk take issue with with what it means. Back then, respectability politics was strong. Branch Rickey. You know, he met with with uh, with Jackie to, to to determine just what kind of guy are we dealing with. Will he would he be able to deal with this? That he can't fight back. That he has to remain stalwart and the whole forth. But he also, Branch Rickey himself, when this was about to go down again, this is in New York now. He he went to black clergy, black business people, and pretty much put out the decree that you're going to have to tell your people that when they come to – because this is also dealt with integrating the, the, integrating the stadiums, Ebbets Field at that time, integrating the baseball park. And you had uh, white patrons that didn't want to necessarily be in a, in a park with black people. So the decree went out. Now, again, you have Branch Rickey telling – black leaders to tell black people to kind of comport themselves because we can't have you, you, you the world's watching this is experimental slow your roll be on your best behavior now that's that could be perceived as patronizing maybe it was patronizing but again this is 1946 1947 and the decree went out many black newspapers put out that decree you also take note there were a lot of black newspapers. Black media were in full effect in the 1940s. The Chicago Defender and so forth. So black folks complied. They complied. They were very, they, they, they were very um, proud, prideful, and they, they were not ashamed to show it. You see these photographs of black men in fedoras. They were sharp. Now, to, a black person today... Your, your black Negro whisperers, that's a new term I, I got out there now. Uh, <laughs> the Negro whisperers, red, black, and green blacks. Uh, shout out to Yvette Carnell, that's her terminology, Negro whisperers. The folks today would, would, see, would see this and, and perceive this to be um, patronizing the black people and, so, and, and yada, yada, yada. And they may have a point. I'm not really even discounting that. I do feel that we do have to have some – we need to bring back some of it, or we need to mold, the, mold what would be called respectability politics to conform to a black standard. That's what's at issue. The respectability politics thing that is, is, is rife throughout Jackie Robinson's story as far as getting into the league and dealing with all that BS. That was based on a white standard. 
I would disagree with that. I don't think being respectable, and I'm, again, we're talking about the root word, whether it's respect or respectable. Respect or respectable, those are the root words of respectability politics. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would certainly disagree with the notion that you should be respectable to make white people feel comfortable. But I ask you this, is there a black standard? We should, we should eschew a white standard for respectability politics. I would agree with that. But someone needs to be respectable. Can you pull your black, can you pull your pants up? Do I have to see man ass? Do I have to see that? Can you can you pull up your pants for your grandmother, for the for the grand grand le- legacy and sacrifice that Mr. Robinson gave us? See, no one discusses this stuff. I'm sick and tired, Captain, of listening to what passes for urban media, and no one deconstructs crap. It's all emotion. It's all. Just all you see is just, just a haze of red. No one can do nuance well. It's either this or that. We can't be. We can't do nuance anymore. We're just angry. And I'm saying is, get the strategy out. Pull your pants up. Get ready to fight. Get ready to go to war. Very difficult to be a soldier when your pants are down on your knees. I'm just saying. But those are some of the things that came up with Jackie Robinson that, um, you know, I could go deeper into it because I I really would want the audience to definitely check out the special. And I I will put the links uh, because for a, I guess for another week or maybe two weeks, they will be available in in its entirety, parts one and part two, courtesy of PBS.org. And really, we have to give out many thanks to Ken Burns for for having that the foresight and the love and passion to put together these these quote unquote passion projects, but I, I look I'm looking at this stuff with a third eye. I'm not just looking at it as just information or just it's just Jackie Robinson. If you're going to look at this going to look at this stuff to our audience, you need to be looking at this stuff from many different perspectives to really engulf it, to really imbibe it, to get a clear understanding as to what he was about and his sacrifice. But I'm really getting tired of this whole cute thing. I go go to The Root oftentimes. I I think we might have spoken about it before, maybe not in depth, but TheRoot.com, Dr. Dr. Gates, Skip Gates's um, now Univision's, (laughs) under Univision's ownership, they have articles here and there about we need not we should not be collectively as black folks we shouldn't really be about respectability politics they're trying to open up the door for the for the trash you're supposed to put the trash out not let the trash in but we want to let the trash in and we don't want to have that standard and all i'm asking for is i'm not even asking for a a white standard Damn, damn white folks being the standard, the standard bearers. That's what this, this, this is the, the issue that's always out there. Anytime you ask for some correctiveness to be put out there for black people, it's always 
under the premise that it makes white people happy. I'm not even talking about that. How about black? There's got to be a black standard. That's the one question. Is there a black standard? Is there a black standard? Because everything is always about the white man this, the white man that, just opposing success to a white standard. I'm not even going there with that. My standard might be the Nigerian standard, actually. You want to be specific, Captain? I think my I think my my standard, our standard, at AfroNerd might be West African. How about that? How about that? That's I'm a just good saying. standard. That's a good level right there. West African standard. That's that. Why not? Why not? Folks, this is the midweek. I'm just getting started. I fear for you, folks. Six four six nine one five ninety six twenty again. Six four six nine one five nine six two zero. You know what? After all of that, let's go to a groove. I'm trying, folks. I'm, I'm trying to give you kind of respectful music. I'm, I'm in the car and I'm listening to nigga and, and nigra and all. And, and where's the respectability? You know, we're getting upset with with uh, his honor, De Blasio. Who who knows CP time intimately? Yes, he does. But you want to get mad about that? You want to get mad about the CP joke? But your own say nigga flagrantly from their cars nonstop, and you're not angry. Your comedians, your minstrels, they can go day, all day, every day. And disrespect you and your women, you're not angry. A white man who's not as white as you would want him to be, and I will dig into that as well. He's not that white in the natural scheme of things. Yes, there are gradations to whiteness. Yes, there are gradations to whiteness. The white man who lives in Brooklyn, now in Gracie Mansion, who has a black-as-hell wife and black-as-hell children, and does, go, and does jokingly come to many functions. Maybe this is just local news. He's always late. He is always late. Anyway, but you're going to get mad. You're going to get mad. Anyway, Black Rock, My Desire by 24-7 Spies. Let's groove. Let's boogie a little. We'll be right back.
right, we're back. My Desire, 24-7 Spies, giving you the absolute very best of black rock and roll. Shout out to the Black Rock Coalition and Vernon Reed himself. i got to reach out to Mr. Reed. I know he follows us, and he's also a blurred as well as a rocker. Staple at the Black Rock Coalition functions in New York as well as Afropunk. <clears throat> so I've got to speak to him. Definitely would be nice to have him come through. We have a, a gentleman coming through um, for Saturday's show, Captain. Uh, I'll get the specifics to our audience in a moment, but he has a book. Um, I believe the gentleman is of French-slash-Haitian descent, I believe. But I saw this thing. It was pretty cool. Uh, again, you know, our show's The Grindhouse, more pulp fiction-friendly. And uh, he essentially has a number of different comics out there and stories, but the one that caught my eye uh, that I think he has some kind of funding thing or, or maybe just available about African werewolves, like an, an actual lycanthrope African werewolf thing going on. So I'll, I'll get the specifics in a moment, but I, he's going to come through on Saturday, so that should be pretty interesting. Anyway, if you'd like to join in the conversation, um, we're all over the map, I think. Um, we spoke about Jackie, the great baseball legend, Jackie Robinson. Uh, now I want to talk about his honor, Bill de Blasio. This is more of a local story, but I think it might be I think it might be national too, actually, because Hillary Clinton is attached to it. The call in number if you'd like to join in and give us you know, maybe I'm wrong, you know, I'd to hear your impressions of this debacle or this controversy. I think it's a controversy. Six four six nine one five nine six two zero. Six four six nine one five ninety six twenty. Um so now we're at in primary season, New York primary, and it's quite interesting because you have three quasi-New Yorkers at play. You have Donald Trump, who's quintessentially a New Yorker, Queens, New York, by, by the way, even actually by my neck of the woods um, originally. So he, he is, he's a New Yorker. Uh, Hillary Clinton is a carpetbagger, <laughs> you know. By way of Arkansas, she was a senator of New York. And Bernie, Bernie Sanders, is originally from Brooklyn. So this is a New York thing, New York state of mind. Anyway, a few days ago, a hullabaloo arose because of what would be considered a, I guess, New, York, New York's, New York's um, equivalent of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. You know the White House Correspondents' Dinner cap where everyone becomes kind of, you know, where comedians tell jokes, everyone cuts loose. It's a little bit blue, ribald humor. Uh, yes, sir. We, we, we see, we've seen President Obama pretty much master this thing. I mean, I remember seeing Karl Rove dancing and doing some rap thing. It was, it was incredible i mean it was it was just it was it was a mystery it was a mystery act far worse we've seen anyway uh so this specific thing uh the inner circle the annual inner the annual inner inner circle pardon me the annual inner inner circle what can i speak inner circle uh this event the equivalent in new york of the white house correspondence dinner so you had this skit the skit involved Secretary Clinton, 
His Honor, Mayor Bill de Blasio, and one of the cast members of Hamilton. Now, the cast members of color, black gentlemen, but we know, we spoke about that, Hamilton is a black and brown, is a people of color, black, brown, yellow, affair. So he's there, um, and if we're going to be, if we're going to be uh, very analytical, black folks have given these two cover, okay? They have their passes in their back pockets. In, not even theory. Realistically, they have passes. They do. Yes, they do. He made this joke. The joke, of, the, 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 the linchpin of the joke, Captain, is he arrived, well, he, he gave his um, endorsement of Hillary Clinton late. That was also a local thing, that he didn't come out until recently that he was going to, going to support Hillary Clinton, probably because he wanted, like most politicians, he's going to go whichever way the wind blows. If Sanders had momentum, Sanders would have been his guy. But it looks like, it looks like, at least for the moment, that Secretary Clinton has the momentum. So he finally gave his endorsement to Secretary Clinton. It was a bad joke. Not, it, really, it really wasn't funny, but I don't think the, the, the joke, in my mind, was, was really highly disrespectful. I don't think so. If you put it into context, Bill de Blasio has multiracial children, and I'm saying pragmatically they're black. I would have, they would have to tell me that they were of mixed parentage. That's how black they are. They would have to tell me. If you're not going to look at their biographies, they are black children, clearly, all right? Black wife, it's a modern family. Tay de Blasio's huge afro, huge afro, was so endearing on a political tip, he was put front and center. That afro was instrumental in getting de Blasio in, in Gracie Mansion. Yes, clearly. So you have a black wife, black children, uh, black supporters, uber-liberal, and he is always late, notoriously, uh, annoyingly late when it comes to functions throughout the city. It's been written up countless times in the New York City press. So... And he was late, in theory, in giving his endorsement to Secretary Clinton. So guess what? That is CP time. Yes, it is. It's CP time. Now he's got to do me a culpa. Everyone's scrambling. This is disrespectful to, disrespectful to black folks, yada, yada, yada. And I'm sitting here thinking, I didn't, see, I didn't feel any hint of anger or uh, tell me when I'm supposed to be upset about this. We're just clearly just arbitrarily picking and choosing what to be angry about. This is clearly much ado about nothing. And I'm not really a fan of his administration. I like his family as far as representation and modernity. I, I like that part of it. But as far as as far as as uh, what he's doing politically and some of the things, some of the moves that are being made in the city, I'm not really feeling his administration. But as far as 
personally, I have no issues with uh, Mr. de Blasio. But what I said before the break is we have this thing. We're going to put this, this person in in the uber white category, and I don't know if we I don't know if we can do that as black people. I don't, I don't know if we can do that. I think we need to be fair. Uh, you have your blue blood Anglo-Saxon white person, and you have white ethnics. You have different um, different cultures, different ethnicities, different tax brackets different locales, and different experiences, if we're going to be fair. He married to a black woman, black children, uber-liberal, living in uber-liberal Brooklyn, one of the the boroughs of Manhattan, is different than, than Donald Trump, who came from wealth of German extraction, and, and it's different from any of the, the wasps that, that we may all be familiar with, that cultural standard. He's a different guy. And we can't invite him in the house and have him sleep with your woman and have black babies and then put him in a corner somewhere. Black folks are going to have to admit that we set up certain situations where we are making white people feel comfortable. And it gets more problematic when we ourselves are doing disrespectful things that are just plain old confusing. Negra versus nigger versus nega. We spoke about this last week. This is not the guy, this is not the, the particular situation to go ham on. But someone made a decision to get angry about this thing. So I'm completely confused about it. I have no dog in this race whatsoever. I mean, the the, the, the departed, departed. Um, oh, now I forgot her name. Cap the uh, uh, the singer I'm always referencing, who talked, who spoke about um, Rick James's uh, Tina Marie was not your average was not a blue blood white woman. She she uh, wrote songs about Maya Angelou and cornbread. We're going to put her in the same category as Ann Coulter? We going we going to do that really? Hell, we can't even, we we can't even put put uh Rachel Dolezal is coming back. As crazy as a bed bug as she may be. She's not in the same category clearly as Ann Coulter or the Queen of England. Not not a woman that goes to Howard University and has uh, raising black boys and calls herself black defiantly. We can discuss that, but that's a di- that's a different. John Brown, the famous abolitionist, is not the same. It's got to come to a point where, as black people, we have to be we have to be honest and kind of go through the facts of the matter. We really do, and it's not talking about accepting disrespect. I'm not even talking about that. Not about disrespect. I just don't. I just don't think this is the guy, or this is the situation. And we need to start cleaning up some of the BS from our own that confuse that clearly confuses the matter. That's it. That's it. I have more. Cap, your thoughts? Well, you have to understand how things work. You know, 
from this standpoint. What is happening now, you have the Twitter, the two-dimensional universe, where you have a lot of people on there that really shouldn't be voicing their opinions, but their opinions do matter as they move as a group whole on Twitter. So that being said, when those people tweet their feelings and you have enough of them grouping together, it makes, as explained before, it makes what we call the real-world news they have to react. So Twitter sequesters the real-world news. So they have to go ahead and talk about it, you know, from that standpoint. Now, from my standpoint, I have hoax skin. So most of this stuff doesn't really bother me. It goes below my radar. I don't even see most of this stuff. That's just me personally. But we have to also understand, as per rule, no one does anything from a fair standpoint. They don't do that. I don't do stuff from a fair standpoint. I make it look fair, but it's never fair. When you go to work, no one's doing anything, assessing you from a fair standpoint. <laughs> they don't. That's not what they do. They make it look like it's a fair standpoint, but they don't. If they really use fairness, a lot of you would be making a lot more money because a lot of you are a lot more valuable to your companies than you really are, what you're getting paid. And that's the truth. You know, the captain is the type of person that brings a nuclear weapon to a knife fight. I make you think I'm bringing a knife, but I'm bringing a nuclear weapon. That's how I operate. So this really, at the end of the day, is a controversy. And a lot of the people on Twitter that make the real world news, what we call real world news now, react, have very thin, thin, thin skin. And they'll just see it from a standpoint, oh, it's a white guy, it's a white guy. Oh, it's a white guy, it's a white guy. You know, meanwhile, there's groups of people that go around who have thicker skin. They'll have their white jokes, they'll have their black jokes, they'll have their Latin jokes and everything else. And they'll laugh about it and there's no big problem, you know, within the same group. And there'll be Latin people, Asian people, black people, white people. Ah, you guys do this, you guys do this. Now, if someone comes in from the Twitterverse with thin skin, they see that, and it happens to be a bunch of executives that were doing this, all of a sudden it turns into a big thing and someone might have to resign from their job, you know, as I explained before, you know, what Twitter does. You know, it makes you, you're a four-dimensional entity acting as a two-dimensional entity, and it causes quantum wave collapse, and then it sequesters the real world, and it makes a reality, as explained before in my long-winded diatribe. But I'm not going to go into that again. You know, so that's what it's doing, which is actually stupid, but that's actually what it's doing. You see? So that, that's the whole skinny on Twitter, you know? You have a lot of people reacting, and then the major news has to react oh, this person said this on Twitter, yada, yada, yada. You have these people that disagree. There's always going to be someone that's going to disagree with something what you do on TV or anywhere else as far as that's concerned. And also, major news is looking to make non-troversies into a controversy because it makes clicks. People pay attention. A lot of foolishness, a lot of foolishness at the end of the day. Back over to you, Afro All right, let's go to the phones. 404. Welcome to the Midweek. Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. What's up? Gentlemen, this is Naj in Atlanta. How y'all doing? Pretty good, man. What's up? Well, I, I guess I want to comment on a few things you guys are talking about. Uh, the first one with uh, the old old mayor out there, old Billow. Uh, yeah, this like you said, this is a large story. This is something that's probably driven by social media and also the need for clicks by, for news stations and uh, you know, websites, like this is kind of how the game is right now. Any story will be kind of changed to something else. But no matter what, we can find the negative in the, po- the positive in the negative. So let's go to this. 
uh, CP time, which has been thought as, as some type of detriment for black people. Uh, what I, I think, like uh, my great-grandmother and, and, and some before me, with how they explained it to me was CP time was people were going to demeaning jobs and you wanted to get in as late as possible and leave as quick as possible because you were the, the elevator operator, the bellhop, you know, the do-boy, you know, all of these different jobs way back in the day. And the arrogance of other people who were controlling and, and running our lives at the time was, oh, they're just lazy, coming up, showing up late. No, they wanted to be away from you as quick as possible, and they wanted to get out of that uniform and silly hat you made them wear and get their dignity back. So that that's the origin of CPT time uh, as far as I had been taught. Uh, as far as the passes that we seem to give to Democrats, yeah, yeah, that is definitely a, a, a black issue right now. Uh, we have one group who openly dismisses us, and then another group who says, come here, come here, go away, come here, come here, go away. And for some reason, we've seen they've gotten confused and think that that, that second group, that Democratic group, uh, is a friend of ours. And I will refer people to the ballot of the bullet when the great Malcolm X can understand that neither are our friend. And we need to just build alliances based on our interests at the time. Sometimes there'll be one party, sometimes there'll be another. But just strategically, we, we've definitely got to operate a lot better. Well, you know, you, you, I can't disagree with what you're saying. I guess my, my only issue is that I, I think we need to get off personally as black people. We need, and I'm speaking tribally in the aggregate, whatever, we need to get off this whole thing of the peculiarity of blackness. We, we ourselves believe that we are peculiar. In, in other words, uh, we, we need to start thinking. We, we, we can't be the, the odd man out all the time. Uh, the brown man... Does he, he, he will spread out his vote. Even though he might be predominantly on the liberal side or on the liberal ticket, it, may be, may, it might be 70, 30, 60, 40. It won't be 90, 10. I mean, at some point, it, 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 looks, it looks absurd. Yeah, well, Don't you it think? It looks absurd, but like I said, it, it does look absurd, but like I said, the dynamics of it are so off because you have one party who's they have a huge part of their base that's based on not only how they treat us, but how they speak to us, because it kind of it, it, it kind of leads into the fervor that they believe in, and they can kind of keep them in the fold without actually doing anything. They can just keep listening I, to people. I, I'm not, I, who are I'm the not buying that. Their rural area well, I, I, I I'm, I'm so. not buying that. Well, well, let me put it this way. What, what, I, what I mean by I'm not buying it is that there are a whole lot of different places that we can go to that disrespect black people, and we still keep on going. Whether it's your own people uh, in, in media and in entertainment, they, just, they say all kinds of wild stuff, and you keep on going. You give them passes for being disrespectful. Um, yeah, again, no, do, when you deal, well, well, let me finish my point. Let me finish my point. Hold on. Hold on. Now, let me finish my point. Uh and, and also, the, the issue is we're seeing other people who are clearly, clearly not white, who are not beloved by the Republicans, that they still are somewhere along, along the line, they're, they're still able to kind of spread out the, that, that percentages. It's not so, it's not so we're, we're, they're not so uh, needy, or at least the appearances don't give, they don't give the appearances that they're so needy for a superficial um, 
accommodations. In other words, uh, if if mm. if Hillary Clinton speaks in a certain way or makes some kind of allusion to some kind of cultural thing, you really love her. You, you really love what she does. If she acknowledges you, going back to that whole gaining respectability from white people, if you get some kind of white acknowledgement, that's enough to give you a pass with everything else. Where, where everybody else who's not white, there are other colored people, in quotes, besides black people that, so, that they don't seem to have this, this, this unnatural need for approval for white folks. They just say, they just do what they have to do. And it's just like, because, no, no. They, the, the, because the Democrats, quote unquote, they, they, they like you or whatever, I mean, what does that mean? Yeah, that, that's what I wanted to get into. That, that's what I wanted to get into, and I think you raised a great point. I, I think you'll, you'll make me explain it better just by saying it like that. I'm not saying we're acting correctly. I'm saying this is the, the dyna- dynamic that we're in, in that this group speaks to you this way, that group speaks to you that way. Now, if you can name any other group who deals in the political process with somebody who openly chastises and speaks to them roughly, then you, you're going to see the same type of situation, but no other group uh, really – qualifies for them to do that so it's not done but look we got we got a problem telling people look we're proud to tell people we're not a monolith well you know there's some things we should be a monolith about and i think one of them would be strategic planning of how we vote not in that all the votes go to one side and strategically saying okay we're going to do this in this state we're going to do this here we're going to do that there uh those things are things that hurt us but yeah what what i was talking about with that dynamic was the state that we are in now politically, as far as political awareness, uh, our age group, because I think me and you are kind of in the same age range, and then the youth, look at, where, look at how, I guess you could say, open people are to new thoughts, new ideas, and, and changing things. Now, you look at that older group, and they don't believe in the process anymore, so they just feel like, okay, I'm just going to go with the safest thing possible. So it's a whole lot of moving parts within this, but no, I, I think you, you push that in the right way. Like, no, this is not correct action or good behavior. And, and don't 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 hang up on me before you explain the Black Panther uh, comic to me, man. Because you know, trying to get my uh, my my comic education from you, you fellas. All right, you, you got me on that. <laughs> I, was about to, I was about to say sayonara, <laughs> but well, okay. So, so how, how what do you want to explain? Because 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 that's going to be more of a, of a of a Saturday discussion. And we actually talked about Black Panther um, last Saturday because of the release of the comic book. But what specifically would you want to know about this first issue or about Black Panther in general? Well, do I have to read uh, the other comics to pick up on this? And is it worth reading, or is this just like a cash grab putting a famous name? No, 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 no. Okay. All right. First of all, what I would do is I would get the first run. Well, there's several runs of the Black Panther. I would get this one because it is very popular. Ta-Nehisi Coates. Uh, whether you agree with his politics or not, he's a phenomenal writer and is somewhat historic for someone of his heft. And, and, and the fact that we do know that he is a blurred, he's steeped in Marvel mythology, that it's, pretty, it's something special for so many people cross-racially to not, be, not only be into someone who's quote-unquote pro-black, that's the, that's the irony of, 
of, I mean, I know, I know the reasoning, but let's say it's ironic. It's ironic that Tanasi is, is as popular with whites, being that he has this very uber pro-black kind of sensibility. So, you know, he writes black as hell, for the lack of a, of a better phraseology, and he has a white fan base. So everybody's kind of digging what he's doing in regular reading, and now he's got a comic book out. That alone, I would try to be on, on top of that book. And the fact that it's, it's practically sold out, and it's like 300,000 copies were already pre-sold. So I would get that book just for that. But as far as getting into the Black Panther, um, I would Google Christopher, Christopher Priest because his, his run of the Black Panther is preeminent. But you, you can go to Amazon and actually pick up the, the, uh, the omnibus, several omnibuses, for the Black Panther, whether they're collected works, instead of you know the trade back trade paperback books, uh, Christopher Priest and I believe also Reginald Hudlin, those are in um, trade back trade paperback form. But if you just put in Black Panther TPB in Amazon or Google that, you'll get a collective works of the Black Panther. Well, but are you are you familiar with the character? I mean, do you know anything about the Black Panther? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a little familiar with the character, just, you know, cartoons and all of that growing up and, you know, movies, stuff like that, but not, I've never bought a comic of, of his or, or read through a comic or, or knew about it until about, you know, five to ten years ago. You know what, S- send me a, send me an email or even a um, a Twitter shout out and I'll send you some direct links uh, giving your, uh, Daryl's probably even better than me as really working your way from, like, number one. I, mean, I could tell you, like, the first issue of his appearance. I mean, it, there is a thing to, for you to kind of know wh- who you're dealing with. But he can tell you the collective works because they've been, they they're also be, have been released out there because of the popularity with Ta-Nasi, all that other stuff. You know, Marvel wants you, obviously. They want your money. But they want you to kind of know what's going on. So um, if, you, if you simply uh, just Twitter – Throw a Twitter shout out to me at Afro Nerd Radio, or you can um, contact me at Afro Nerd Blog, Afro Nerd Blog at yahoo.com, and I'll be able to email you like more direct information about Black Panther and which way to go. Either way, I, I could be a little bit more tighter with give you, giving you the direct links on the character. But oh yeah, you got to be all over this. The movie's coming out. Nazis on it. It's it's. It's, yeah, get at me at Twitter, man, and it's it's too historical right now to deny it. Everybody, white folks, black folks, brown folks, in the in the comic shop, that's all they're talking about right now. Black Panther, that's what makes it unique. Ooh. An African yeah, superhero who runs his own country, and who's smarter than Tony Stark. Yeah, you better be on top of that. <laughs> Indeed, man. I would suggest have a good night, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep listening, bro. Sounds All good, right. man. Thank you. Thank you, as always. All right, folks, if you haven't guessed it, this is the Midweek in Review edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk and the call-in number 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. And we, I see we have folks that are on hold. Some folks just listening in their cars, listening on their phones. But if you'd like to join in on the conversation, just press 1, the number 1 on your phone, so that way we know that you'd like to join in. Otherwise, we're going to assume you're just listening on your phone. Uh, Because I see quite a few numbers uh, hanging around. Um, 
Cap, I want to I want to move things along. Actually, uh, we got to talk That's about. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. You think we should, Yeah, I think we should do that, right? Yeah. Okay. We'll take yeah. a music. We'll take a musical. We'll take a musical break. And when we come back, um, I think we should talk. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go 180. Talk about Stephen Hawking. <laughs> I'm gonna talk about Stephen Hawking, space travel, 3D printing, saving money, and then we'll talk about. Uh, Bill Clinton and Ray Lewis um, basically talking that ish uh, that I like to hear, actually, <laughs> for me, you know, for me. Um, yeah, so let, let's do that. Let's go to a groove, and then we'll, we'll be right back. Um, let's go to let's go to Sandra St. Victor. This is a classic groove. This isn't new. This is quite some time ago. Sandra St. Victor. From the family stand. This is MPH. MPH. More groove. Hold on.
Okay, we're back. Give you some groove, real groove. That's um, Sandra St. Victor. Sandra St. Victor. Folks, midweek in review edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk. I wanted to mention a couple of things before we get back to that old race stuff you like, that emotional stuff that you like or hate, but it gets your blood boiling. I feel nothing. <laughs> I feel nothing. Anyway, um, this is just two stories I just find fascinating. One would deal with um, necessity being the mother of invention, a young man, not of color. I'm not, not, not everything has to be of color, by the way. I'm not really into that wholesale. I mean, some things, of course, we should be applauding our people, and, and that's what we try to do uh, really with great intensity with calling out what we do right as well as trying to do, do some corrective measures. Anyway, young man, um, a student at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. I just, this, this story to me is just, as the captain would say, the best. Amos Dudley, like many of us who, uh, uh, when we were his age, 23 years of, old, of age, and he was just broke. You know, he's a college kid, and he, he was self-conscious about his teeth. And again, he goes to NJIT, New Jersey Institute, Institute of Technology. So he's familiar with with 3D printing. He's a digital design student. Uh, he was bold enough to create his own braces. You know, he took. He was able to create a mold of his teeth with with the 3D printer, and he was able to make ten different molds of braces that he could wear. Like he could, he could literally make the make the braces, wear them. And each mold was positioned to straighten his teeth uh, a movement at a time. And we're talking about malocclusion. I wore braces myself at one point when I was a kid. Uh, Actually, when I was older, (laughs) I wore braces. So, but he had the ingenuity to have these molds, to have these braces, 10 of them slightly moving the teeth in a straightened position. You're not supposed to do that. Because, you know, you're circumventing dentists. You're circumventing doctors. But, again, he did it to great success for around 60 bucks. So for 60 bucks, because he was broke and it was personal and he was self-conscious and he's familiar with technology, he straightened his teeth for 60 bucks. And looking at the picture, he did a pretty good job. Now, of course... The dental industry, they're weighing in and saying, you can't do this, this is wrong, and there could be a whole bunch of complications. And I wouldn't doubt that, but it does make me wonder, though. And because he did this and it went viral, obviously all sorts of people were approaching him to do the same thing for their teeth. So I don't know what to call this. I just know that he got away with it. He wore them for approximately 16 weeks, if I remember the story correctly. Um, but he straightened his own teeth for 60 bucks. And having worn braces, braces can, can cost thousands between the actual hardware and the the dentist with his expertise. And you can't, uh, his or her expertise, my, my dentist happens to be a, 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 a woman, um, 
you know, I have to kind of applaud that, Captain. What are your thoughts about, I mean, as much as I rail against millennials, you, you know, he's, he's kind of slick with it. Kind of slick with it. I, I can't hate on that. That's the best right there. That's the best. <laughs> That's the best. Because at the end of the day, I had braces too, you know. <laughs> but at, at the end of the day, what, what are the braces actually doing? They're pulling your teeth and moving, you know, your molars and everything back slowly into the right position. You have force applied to it. So that's, what's, that's actually what's happening at the end of the day in a gradual manner. And I also had the night brace, which was horrible, man. That, brought, that brings back your whole jaw. And you're supposed to wear that like 14 hours a day. Madness. But that's actually what it's doing. It's just pulling everything back. You have tension on your teeth. That's what it's doing. So he, he, he even had the foresight. He, fi- he figured out. He, listen, I'm, I, 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 it was intimated that he, he researched it. He yeah. researched it and looked it up, and he had the foresight to have 10 different molds with, with 10 different mm-hmm. positions, and he wore it for 16 weeks. That was it. That was it. Now mm-hmm. he's smiling. Before he personally, and he did. He he didn't. He he did it himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know, go. all cases okay, you can't do is, that, but this pretty straightforward, man. Metal and rubber band. Okay, allergy. I can do this. <laughs> Easy. Nice. All right. The next, the next story I wanted to um, just throw out there because you know we the show was called Afro Nerd and we got, we've got to get um, Jadida. Eisler, if I'm not pronouncing her name correctly, I know she's um, one of the recent uh, graduates of Yale in astrophysics, and I think it's something about the distinction of a black female uh, Ivy League graduating with a degree in astrophysics or, or physics. I think it's astrophysics, so she's pretty much a female version of Dr. Tyson. So we got to get her. I know she follows us, and I've shouted her out a few times on Twitter, so it would be pretty cool to have her as our resident astrophysicist to explain some of this, to, to explain these heavenly bodies. these And I'm not talking about the other heavenly bodies that we might admire, Cap, uh, <laughs> respectfully. we got to have her come in and talk about some of this um, uh, science. So anyway, theoretical physicist of note, Stephen Hawking, who's billed as the world's smartest man, He's a smart dude. I can't take anything away from him. Uh, he's always forward-thinking, even with his disability. He has this neurological disorder, um, where I think it's kind of colloquially called the locked-in disease. Uh, if you have ever seen him, you know he's, he 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 can't move. Um, There's a film about him recently. Um, it's pretty tragic, but I, I guess it, it's it's less tragic because I mean it is tragic. No one would want to would want to live that that way. And I'm actually I actually did some googling, and I think they're coming close to figuring out a way to get on top of his disorder. So maybe he might live longer. He might live long enough, hopefully, that he might be able to get some relief and might be able to have some kind of normalcy. But he's in his, he's in his mid-70s. Anyway, still very – but his mind, is, again, the locked-in thing, his mind is super agile. And obviously, based on this story, we need this guy. Um, we're always talking about – interstellar travel uh, in fiction and on this show. And I, I've always said 
we've always said that um, if you can conceive it, you can achieve it. I mean, if you can think of it, that's 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 the wonderment of of the human spirit is that if you can envision it, more than likely you will be able to make it into reality. That's something. That's that's what what's what is quintessentially human. Cap is that you know all this goofy stuff that we think is just out there. And, and very much part of the human imagination is something that will be an eventuality. The concept of an Iron Man fly, flying through space is going to happen. It is going to happen because we want it to happen. I mean, you know, we, we think about the Wright brothers in 1906 with this very archaic balsa wood plane. That was that was up in the air for around I don't know seconds. You think 1906 flight for seconds, and now we can be in the air for hours, for hours, mass transit into globally. But it started out with a few seconds in the air, and then we were able to actually fly to the moon. So anyway. When we think about this goofy Star Trek stuff, and I say goofy affectionately and in quotes, it's not that goofy. It just isn't. So he's working with a Russian philanthropist on interstellar travel, specifically Alpha Centauri. So that's our closest star system. It's around four light years away. And I believe it's a... It's a multi-million, if not billion-dollar project, and it involves lasers, and it involves pint-sized spacecraft. There's pint-sized pint size robo, a fleet of robot spacecraft. Um, I saw a, a video of it where it's just like a, a, the size of I don't know, like the size of a of a cell phone battery. It's very small, but with the with lasers. They intend to send those probes uh, light years away into another solar system, and if and if they're able, I think they're going to do it. I think it might take realistically maybe thirty years or something, something to that effect. Um, Twenty to thirty years with this with this laser light beam to project these probes into another solar system. But if they're successful in doing that, that opens the door for at some point, maybe not in our lifetime, but with human beings to use something in a similar fashion. But it has to start with something that is pint-sized. But they, they, they are very, very, um, very positive that they can actually accomplish this. What are your thoughts about that, Cap, about using lasers to, to, to move an object at a fraction of the speed of light into another solar system, that if you're able to project an object into another solar system, it's not that inconceivable that you can use, you could do this with a larger object with humans inside. What are your thoughts about that? Well, let's see. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So 
you put that on there, it slows it down a little bit slower than uh, the speed of light. So, and then you start calculating the distance between there and their target. Then you can figure out the amount of time it'll take for it to go there. It seems very conceivable if they can get it to move like that. That's the reason why you want a small object. So it makes sense. It's totally conceivable from that standpoint. You know, it, may, it makes a lot of sense. It, may, it makes a lot of sense. But but eventually, eventually, you know, they're gonna need to figure out. And some say they already they've already figured it out. Just that mainstream scientists don't have it. They have to get past the three four D mechanism because that's the speed of three D space. You have to be able to go faster than that to really visit a lot of these places that you want to visit. You know. But I love the idea. I love the idea. I can see them banging this out in about thirty forty years. Working on it, you know they're gonna need more money though. <laughs> they're gonna need more money, in my opinion. But you know, it's I, li- I like it. I like it. It's definitely conceivable. Back over to you. Yeah, I'm gonna read this. I, I want to read this quickly, and then we'll move along. This is something from the New York Times uh, on the same topic. Uh, this is I think there's it's entitled the Starshot Starshot Project. And again, I would really would want a, an astrophysicist to break some of this stuff down. Anyway, uh, it says, I'm reading, just, I'm kind of skipping around here. It says, much of this plan is probably half a lifetime away. Uh, Mr. Milner, I think Milner is, who is Milner? Um, yeah, oh yeah, Yuri Milner is the Russian philanthropist. He's, he's the money dude. Uh, Mr. Milner and his colleagues estimate that it could take 20 years to get the mission off the ground and into the heavens, 20 years to get to Alpha Centauri, and another four years for the word from outer space to come home. And there is still the matter of attracting billions of dollars to pay for it. I think you and I will be happy to see the launch, Mr. Milner, 54, said in an interview, adding that progress in medicine and longevity would determine whether he would live to see the results. We came to the conclusion it can be done interstellar travel, Mr. Milner Milner said. He announced a project called Breakthrough Starshot Starshot, in a conference in New York on Tuesday, uh, 55 years after Yuri Gagarin, for whom Mr. Milner is named, became the first human in space. Uh, okay, so this guy, this is in his blood. You know, he's named after the uh, the Russian that was in space. Um, I I I just dig this stuff, Cap. I'm you know this is this is Star Wars. Uh, I'm Star Wars, and I'm more since I'm on Team Star Trek. Star Trek, more accurately, this is Star Trek self-realized. So I'm all about it. All right. Um, Let's, let's move things along. And again, we, we've got to get that astrophysicist to really kind of kick it better than you or, you or I. Um, just more racial shenanigans. Ray Lewis, the Baltimore Ravens football player, retired. Um, he spoke out last week about Black Lives Matter, critiquing it. And he, he put up a YouTube clip that was somewhat animated for my personal taste. But it is what it is, and he he says these things about Black Lives Matter, and, and what the, the similar rant that we've said countless times on this show that black you know you can't parse black lives, you can't you know is, is it all black lives? And we we've heard some folks say well all lives matter, and we know that, and they're able to counter that argument. But can you counter the argument? Okay, if it's not all lives matter, can we make it all black lives then? Anyway. That's what he's asking. And then 
there was a kerfuffle involving former President Bill Clinton, who was on the campaign tra- trail, uh, representing his wife, of course, and also kind of sort of representing his 1994 crime bill, which has been heavily critiqued, heavily analyzed as not really being favorable toward black folk. Um, in reverse, when he was president, you know, then Secretary Clinton now, but then First Lady Hillary Clinton used the term super predator to describe urban folk, not necessarily black people. That's what that's what could be inferred, that their, their crimes and the violence attached to their crimes was so over the top that the term super predator was used. Now, 20 years after that, and on the campaign trail, needing black folks' votes, votes now he's apologized for it, that um, it was draconian in nature, that it was just over the top, and it was, it was purely something that was the ruination to many, many in, black, in the black communities, plural. Anyway, um, Black Lives Matter or some folks that were in line, might not have been even Black Lives Matter directly, but let's say it was Black Lives Matter indirectly, some other group, I believe in Philadelphia, that were speaking over President Clinton and really hammering him about the, the crime bill. And, the, and he, not a pushover, went into sister soldier, mo, sister soldier mode. I'll explain that in a minute. Well, let's, let's, it's, 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 I'm putting in both these stories because it critiques Black Lives Matter and the black splainers, the Negro whisperers, they're not going to have it. So anyway, let's listen to what Ray Lewis spoke about, and then we'll, we will unpack. Hold on. I found myself back in my prayer room. I find my spirit very disturbed. While everybody's preparing for the final Ford March Madness, things that ran in the newspapers have disturbed me. I'm trying to figure out if if black lives really matter. Then in Chicago alone, the murder rate has soared 72% in 2016. 88% in the first three months of 2016 compared to last year. I'm trying to ask the question if, if, if to the organization of, of black lives, if, if they really mattered, then why not riot now? There was 141 murders this year, 82 murders last year at the same time. I've, I'm trying to figure out in my mind why no one is paying attention to black men killing black men, why we always find ourselves as the victims. And now we have the separation once again that we're being victimized because of one bad white cop, two bad white cops, three bad white cops kill a young black brother. But every day we have black on black crime killing each other. 
Police in Chicago reported 677 shootings this year. Last year, it was 359. March murder rate rose by 29%. But we're not riding in the streets when black-on-black crime are killing each other. I'm trying to figure out how, how the month of March, there's more murders in the month of March in Chicago than there are days in the month. 45 murders in the month of Chicago. There was 271 shootings, incidents. I'm trying to stop to ask this one simple thing. When will we appreciate who we are? When will our skin color start paying attention to our own skin color? When will we stop crying that black lives matter? Because God says, I am Alpha and Omega. I am creator of all. And all come up under me with my spirit, which means color means nothing. I am king. I will live as king. But we have found our way distracted. We found our way distracted because things we're not paying attention to. The murders in 2015 and 2016, just a comparison to Chicago, should be sad enough. 2015, there was 34 murders. 2016, there was 45. From January 1st to March 31st, there was 82 murders. In 2015, there was 141 in 2016. Let's just talk about the shootings. The shootings in 2015, there was 179. 2016, there was 271. January 1st to March 31st, the shootings alone. 2015, there was 359. All right. You, you get the you get the point. Um, I, I want to also, if I can find it, the uh, the Clinton. I'm putting them together because essentially it's the same issue. It's it's a certain belief that's being challenged. Black Lives Matter is being challenged publicly, uh, deconstructed, if if I if if you if you will, um, by high profile people. So, if I can find the the clip with Bill Clinton. All right, here we go. This is Bill Clinton, actually Young Turks discussing Bill Clinton, uh, critiquing Black Lives Matter as well. Hold on. Bill Clinton giving a speech, and uh, he's interrupted by Black Lives Matter. Now, we've seen in the past that... uh, uh, Bernie Sanders has given the mic over to them. Uh, Trump made fun of him for that, but a lot of African-American activists really appreciated that, um, saying, when's the last time you saw a politician let a young black woman take the podium and speak and air her grievances? What, what a wonderful thing he did. Well, the Clintons are not of that mind. Uh, when a young African-American activist uh, interrupted a, a fundraiser that Hillary Clinton was doing, she was promptly, promptly escorted from the building, Okay. Hillary Clinton did not take her question, did not answer her question, and they had her removed from the premises. Well, Bill Clinton's going to get challenged. But before you watch that, I want you to watch the context of this. Uh, He gets challenged on Hillary Clinton calling African-American kids super predators. Now, I want to show you the clip from the 1990s when she, in essence, did that, and I will give it context as well. Here, watch. Not just gangs of kids anymore. They are often the kinds of kids that are called super predators. No conscience, no empathy. We can talk about why they ended up that way, but first we have to bring them to heal. Now, uh, they claim, no, we didn't mean just African-American kids. It could have been white kids, too. I mean, sure. But the 
line super predators was used back in the day to demagogue against African-American kids. So that's a historical certainty. So you can go back and look at it. You don't believe me. See the context the super predator line was used. It was almost always about African-Americans. In fact, Hillary Clinton later apologized for using that line. And look at what she said at the end. They have to be brought to heel. So we know how you bring people to heel. And so this was ugly language. Uh, now, when Bill Clinton was asked about that, here was his response. I talked to a lot of African-American groups. They thought Black Lives Mattered. They said, take this bill because our kids are being shot in the street by gangs. We had 13-year-old kids planning their own funerals. She don't want to hear any of that. You are defending the people who kill the lives you say matter. Tell the truth. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, take a Black Lives Matter activist and point your finger at her and say, oh, yeah, we, we were right to do that crime bill. Now, the whole super predator line was in an effort to aid that crime bill that Bill Clinton passed. And that crime bill put a historic number of African-Americans uh, behind uh, prison bars. Okay? Now, Michelle Alexander has written about that. She's probably the top expert in the country about the imprisonment of African-Americans. She's the one that pointed out that there are now more African-American men in jail than there were African-American men in slavery. So it's amazing. And her exposition on that crime bill and the Clintons' role in it is something you should definitely read, and I've talked about it on the show before. And she says, no, that crime bill uh, did not have to be anywhere near draconian as it was. And then it's, uh, imp uh, the way that it was applied uh, wound up discriminating against African-Americans in a tremendous way. For example... As we've shared with you before, uh, whites and blacks in this country smoke pot at about the same rate, but blacks are arrested at four times the rate, and off you go to prison. So they created this prison industrial complex. Now the Clintons are not uh, solely responsible for that. They aided and abetted the Republicans who couldn't wait to do it. See, there they got were. They were, see, Bernie Sanders can't work with Republicans. The Clintons can work with Republicans to put a lot of black people in jail. So good for them. Uh, outrageous, people will say. What do you mean outrageous? That's a fact. As I'll pull a Bill Clinton. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. Look it up. Go read Michelle Alexander. You'll find out the truth. So now, uh, when questioned on that record, outrage. Can't have it. Hey, know your role. Don't make me bring you to heel. And so far, Hillary Clinton has gotten a great majority of the African-American vote. Has she really deserved it? Find out the truth. That I agree with Bill Clinton on. You find out the truth. It ain't on their side. All right. Uh, Cap, your opinion. Just let's have you take the lead on this one. You have Ray Lewis spitting that quote-unquote hot fire. I'm not really comfortable with his preachy-style cadence. I don't know what that was all about. But he was, you know, not really into the style but and then really kind of on the same same topic, uh, former President Clinton, when he was at this rally, you know, the Black Lives Matter people really were being um, confrontational with him. And I believe that Clinton's really apologized for that crime bill, but they weren't having it. So now they kind of and there's also another uh, uh, element where he is thinking of apologizing. Like even 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 the re response from Clinton is like, eh, you know, I'm not so sure. You know, he, he he wish he he wish he could, or it, it's very quasi about. It's almost Trump-esque. 
really. So what are your thoughts about what's going on here? All right, before I get into that, i got to do a prerequisite so everyone can understand how we get here in these situations. The captain doesn't do the work. He lets the scientists do the work, and I take their means. So the more scientists are out there, the better for me. I sequester the means and download it into myself, so it looks like I did the work. But they actually did the work. Now, according to scientists, most of you are not versed with simple electricity, Ohm's law, E is equal to I times R, which is electricity times amps times resistance stuff. So I'll go through it quickly with you. Why am I talking about this? Because you have to get this first before I go into that. Scientists have known for a long period of time that humans flow according to electricity. What do I mean by that? You hear people talk about the electrical brain. There's plenty of papers about that. Electricity likes to follow the least path of resistance. So that's the first thing. We know that also humans, according to scientists and psychologists, some people call psychologists scientists. I don't. But according to scientists and according to psychologists, humans gravitate towards what is familiar, right? According to scientists, humans do their decisions emotionally within the limbic system, all decisions. And the less emotion that you have, the better your decision-making. Hence, you don't want to get too emotional. That being said, this answers a lot of questions that people have with why people going back to jail, what happens when drugs are in your neighborhood. When drugs come into your neighborhood, and this is where the Italians, or like Italians, they were much smarter than the Latin people and the black people. They realized you can't have drugs dealing in the neighborhood because it changes the vectors within the neighborhood. What is vectors? Magnitude and direction of the people. Because of the facts I just told you When drugs are in your neighborhood You change what is familiar Within the neighborhood So you gravitate towards it Because it's all around you Got to remember the least path of resistance Electricity So that becomes the least path of resistance Because it's right in front of you And you make emotional decisions Based on you see the drug dealer With the little car and everything else The women around him so, boom, this is the way I got to go. And with the drugs, then comes the murder rate. So, it's not as simple as saying, well, just because the drugs are in your neighborhood, you know, uh, you just don't have to mess with it. It doesn't work that way. You're not as smart as you think you are as human beings. You're really not. You're really not. You know? Occultists always call you farm animals, meaning which they can condition you just like a farm animal. And this is why the captain in previous diatribes has said, when you look from space... The neighborhoods look like a circuit. Now, look at the conditioning. This is why, as per rule, as per rule, there will be exceptions. But as per rule, as per rule, but there will be exceptions. Scientists, lawyers, doctors, physicians do not come from an impoverished neighborhood because of the flow of electricity. You gravitate towards what's familiar and your emotional decisions based on what's in the neighborhood. So, when you have those factors in there, you can develop the predator mind state within the neighborhood. That leads to exactly the killing. So now, when Clinton is talking about this, the Clintons or Ray Lewis, from that standpoint, you do have a predator mind state because of the factors that are in there, in these neighborhoods. And once these factors are in these neighborhoods, all you can do is begin to lock these people up. 
Now, if we can get into how these neighborhoods get these factors in there, that's a whole other thing. Single-parent household, the drugs coming in, you know, CIA. We can get into all of that, but that's, that's another diatribe. So once you get to that point, this is what will happen. This is what will happen. So now you have to respond in that manner because that's the circumstances. That's the paradigm that you're under. Once again, you look from space, and what do you see? You can look and see how the circuits are set up. When you have a middle-class neighborhood, lower middle-class, medium middle-class, and upper middle-class, you can predict up to 95% with their computers how many people will do this, that, and the third. You put certain things in that neighborhood, you destroy the neighborhood. The Italians, or if you like Italians, understood this. Latin groups didn't understand this. Black people didn't understand this. They said, okay, if we're going to deal drugs, you go deal in their neighborhoods because it changes the vectors within the neighborhood. There you go. That's that simple. And poverty will change the vectors within the neighborhood. All these things change. You know, lack of education changes the vectors in the neighborhood. So then it leads to this predator type of situation. So someone such as the Clintons or Ray Lewis have to turn around and speak out because this is exactly what happened. Now you have to come in there and try to lock the situation down. Now we can go back and forth with the semantics, whether it's the right thing to do, whether it's not to, the crime bill, yada, 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 yada. You know, Rockefeller laws, I didn't agree with the Rockefeller laws. You know, I didn't agree with all of that. It put away a lot of black people for a little bit of cocaine, you know. His crime bill, some of that probably should have been done, but not necessarily everything. You know, if you wanted to stop, you have to go through what I just said. And that's how you change any neighborhood. And the powers that be absolutely know that. You, the listener, don't know that. You understand? You're sitting at home with your nice little, cool little job. After the listener, probably just people anywhere between 50000 to probably 350000 a year. That's our core listeners. You know, so most of you are probably doing legitimate. You know, you're well-read probably college educated, you know, and that sort of thing. That's the affluent listener. So you, even though you are that, you don't understand that. You don't understand how do you, how we get to these points. Now back to the Clintons and back to Ray Lewis. I really don't have too much to say on the negative standpoint based on what they said because now you already have the situation. You didn't go to the root cause. Captain always talks about root cause that allows you to stop the situation, how to change a neighborhood or what have you. So they like to operate bottom down instead of top down. So that's just a natural progression because that's the same thing you do. You operate bottom down. You don't have top down. You don't have that type of intelligence. That's the same thing they do, and they want to get their point of view across. They really don't care about any of that. Ray Lewis might care, but I don't think the Clintons really care about it. They're just trying to respond to a situation. That's what politicians do at the end of the day. So that's what you have overall with this situation. I really don't have a problem with what they said there, man. Back over to you, Afro Nerds. Yeah, I have to concur to that. I don't really have a problem with what was said. My only issue was the delivery of Ray Lewis. And also, you know, Ray Lewis, Ray Lewis as they say on the street, caught a case a few years ago that, that almost derailed his career. Uh, he had a murder case that he was able to extricate himself out of. But he knows full and well, which he didn't really speak about intimately. He didn't speak about his case intimately. But... For, for Lewis to critique black-on-black crime, whatever his involvement was, he had a murder on a murder on his uh, on his back. That because of his, if you're going, going to be honest, because of who he was, uh, his skill set, and the the multi-million dollars that would derive 
from his talent, he was able to get out of his case. But if he was going to be really candid, he too was part of the problem that he's critiquing. So that becomes problematic. And also, he said something about slavery that was just absurd, about the, the togetherness of slavery. There's, there's, slavery, if you're going to say anything, might be uh, the, the pressure of slavery would, could, could, could create a diamond. In other words, we know full and well that coal, with pressure applied, uh, applied turns into a diamond. So, if anything, the survival of slavery and tangentially um, segregation and all of the disrespect and the horror of our situation in the Americas, one could say that should be toughening us up or pressurizing us into a diamond-like state. That's, that's the, the wisdom one could derive. But I wouldn't say togetherness. His, his, his phraseology was all screwed up. The, the preachy cadence, the slavery remarks, I wasn't, I, I, can't, I'm, I, can't, I can't protect you on that, Ray. Everything else, he was dead on target about. And also with what happened with President Clinton when he weighed in, I mean, what, what, I mean, when when you hear this is the, this is the fascinating part. If you listen with a th- with a third ear to take take something that Joe Madison from Sirius says, but it's a well known it's a well known phrase, third ear, you know, third eye, whatever. The constant the constant um, usage of Super predator, super predator, and black people. That's really not accurate. Super predator and black people. If you use the term super predator, I I don't think she's speaking or spoke about black folks in the aggregate. I mean that's just common sense. I mean it's also common commonsensical to to look at someone, especially at that time and even to this day, when you hear some of these heinous stories with the, the ease at which some people can kill other people without a thought, that is a super predator. I mean, wh- why do we have to uh, couch euphemisms? I mean, why do we have to couch or, or, or be careful in our phrasing as if it speaks to all black people? Clearly, none of the African listeners, the, the black folks, the, the working-class black people, the, you know, whatever station of life you may, you may be from, if you are a black person that's that's onward and upward, I'm not talking about just financially. I'm talking about just spiritually, metaphysically. If you are a black person that's not about that life, then you're clearly not a super predator. But there are super predators. So why, why are we so – I mean, there's such a thing as color people time. I hate that, you know, newsflash, to go back a few stories ago, I mean, why do we have to talk about pheno- certain phenomena – as if they don't really exist. I'm confused. What is it? What is it with black people? Some of us. I, I have to be careful with my words. What is it with some of us? Where we're so sensitive, where some of the phenomena that comes up, we have to pretend doesn't exist. So now, we take we take on this whole this whole positioning that when she used her super predators, she's talking about black people. She's talking about the, the totality of black folks. Come on now. 
there, there's some there's such an absurdity as to what's being discussed in the public sphere. That's crazy. It's just crazy. You know, we have two minutes remaining, <laughs> and now it gets hot and heavy, as always. Uh, folks, I hope you enjoyed this broadcast. Uh, this is not just this is not just um, bloviating. You know, we we do feel this way passionately. If you were to speak to me outside of the radio program, I will give you the same answer. That's how we feel, and we really do appreciate the support. And honestly, and with great passion, we do believe in, in, in the lineage of the great Jackie, Jackie Robinson. We, I believe in respectability politics. I'm sorry. Only that there be a black standard. And guess what? The West African, is, the West African standard is the Afro-Nerd standard, if you're going to be technical. Let's be technical. Afro-Nerd, Captain Kirk, the rest of the team, let's just say we, uh, we believe in respectability politics from a West African standard. Why not? Please the, the, the Negro whisperers, to please them. I doubt it. But that's, that's what I'm running with, Cap. Any closing remarks before we get on out of here Saturday, 6 p.m., folks? The Grindhouse? Tune in Saturday, 6 p.m. We're going to chop it up. There's a lot of comic stuff to talk about, new trailers and whatnot. So make sure you're there Saturday, 6 p.m. Thank you very much yeah, wh- for listening, ladies and yeah, gentlemen. White, white women posing as Asians. Dr. Strange, I said it. All right. <laughs> Shout out to Claire Lene. <laughs> She'll appreciate that. Bobby Condors, the poem. Let's groove. See you on Saturday, 6 p.m. It's been real. This poem shall speak of the wretched sea that washed ships to these shores, of mothers crying for their young, swallowed up by the sea. This poem shall say nothing new. This poem shall speak of time, time unlimited, time undefined. This poem shall call names. Names like Lumumba, Kenyatta, Nkuma, Hannibal, Atherton, Malcolm, Garvey, Haile Selassie. This poem is vexed about apartheid, racism, fascism, the Ku Klux Klan, riots in Brixton, Atlanta, Jim Jones. This poem is revolting against first world, second world, third world, division, man-made decision. This poem is no secret. This poem shall be called boring, stupid, senseless. This poem is watching you trying to make sense from this poem. This poem is messing up your brain, making you want to stop listening to this poem. But you shall not stop listening to this poem. You need to know what will be said next in this poem. This poem shall disappoint you because this poem is to be continued in your mind.